Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. It's very exciting. And I don't know if you realise, but there's some amazing stuff happening in the world today where it's never happened before. I mean, we hear about the rise of ISIS, but as a result of the rise of ISIS, there's been a significant number of refugees have moved into Jordan and a significant number into Lebanon as well. And numbers of church groups are up there working among them, sharing the gospel. And what we're hearing over and over again is that the Syrians are saying, look, we know why the United Nations come and they bring us food and tents, but you're different. What is different about you? You love us. And the Christians are able to tell them about who Jesus is. They're forbidden by the UN to share their faith unless they're asked a question. And just because of the sheer love of Jesus through their lives, there are many Syrians who, who, are, who are coming to Jesus. You saw before also, uh, when we were in, um, in Lebanon, in Amman, there were a couple there who were Iraqi ref, ref, refugees from a town called Mosul. And when IS invaded Mosul, they got this man. And for 20 days, they said to him, you will convert to Islam or you will die. And under Islam, if you, you can pay money like a bribe uh, to, and still live as a Christian. But the IS said, no, you are to convert or you will die. So this man, for 20 days, was taken from house to house and told to convert. And his wife uh, was just crying and she prayed for him day after day. On the night before they were to execute him, one of the emirs, one of the princes of IS, came in and said, I'm going to give you a letter. And I want you to take this letter to all Christians, including the Pope, and you tell them, we are coming for you. And they set the man free because they wanted him to take that letter to all the Christians in the world. He was miraculously set free the night before he was supposed to be killed, and he made his way to Jordan, and now he's trying to get into Australia or or Canada. And so you just hear about remarkable stories uh, there as well. So you hear about the doom and the gloom and the bloodshed and all that is true. Those guys are barbaric and they are evil. And But what I pray is God use this so that the Syrian people may hear about who, who Jesus is. Uh, we're just seeing some amazing stuff. And you would have seen up there some pictures of a pastor from, from, from Aleppo. Aleppo is very close to the Turkish border and that's the town where all the recruits from around the world are coming into Syria to join IS. This guy pastors in that town. He's one kilometer from the front line with IS. If the, if, the, if the Syrian army withdraws, he's in trouble. If IS advances, he's in trouble. And he feels to stay there. And they've been there for five years. And they drove, would you believe this? They drove across Syria to Lebanon to come to our, our seminar. And it was the first training that they'd had for five years. And he was telling us that his church started when his church was before the war. His church was 400 strong. And then half his church left to go to different parts of the world. Since that time, he's, he's gained 200 people who've come to know Jesus as a result of the conflict. And there's just amazing stuff happening out there in the world right now. So it's very exciting to be part of that. And I want to thank you for your partnership in what we're doing in the developing world. As uh, Kaylee, Kylie, Carly, as, as Carly said, I didn't quite hear her name before. As Carly said, you, you, you may never go to those countries, and my wife doesn't even know the countries I go to sometimes as well. You may n- never go there, but through your partnership, through your prayer, this church is making a difference in some of the darkest places on, on earth. And I want to thank you that the missionaries are not just invisible people doing an invisible work in invisible places. They are real people 
doing a real work for God. And, and when you give, it's not just money that's going, going away that you'll, you'll, you'll never see again. You're investing in real people doing an amazing work overseas and beyond. And it could be that God is stirring you to go to the nations of the world. And we have numbers of pathways from a two-week exposure trip, or you can go for three, three months. You can serve as an intern, or maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. Uh, if that's upon your heart, you're welcome to come and talk to me or Suzanne or Ian afterwards, and we'll do whatever we can to facilitate you getting onto the field and making a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a super spiritual uh, person to be a missionary. You just need to be called. And if God's put it upon your heart, he will give you the capacity to do what God has call, called you to do. And uh, so it's a great honor to, to be back with you again. I think this, this might be my sixth or seventh time I've, I've come here. I've got a lot grayer since then, not because of you, but, but uh, over those years as well. And in the morning, I'll be having breakfast with Pastor Shane just to catch up with him. He's my friend. And Pastor Shane, the experience that he's having at the moment is very similar to one I had a number of years ago as well. Very similar. So I completely understand what he's going through. And he just needs time and he just needs space. But I want you to know that God used that experience that I had to redefine my life and ministry. So that now what I'm doing in the nations of the world was a direct result of an incredibly painful and a hard time. And I just want to assure you tonight, Pastor Shane will come back and he will come back stronger and more on fire and more reconfigured and transformed than he ever was before. He may look the same. He may dress the same. He may still, still have his abstract Monty Python sense of humor, but he's going to come back a greater leader and more effective for God. I just want you to know through this, and sometimes it's hard to understand why these things happen, God can use them to rearrange our life and to do something great. But in the interim, I want to encourage you too, don't go into maintenance mode of, okay, the pastor's away, we'll just come every Sunday. I'm believing that your church is going to grow and expand and develop and that you'll experience God in that time because you're in good hands. You're in safe hands. You're in wise hands. You're in experienced hands. So I really believe that something great is going to happen in this church and beyond. Okay, I'm going to do something tonight that I rarely ever do as a guest guest preacher i'm going to preach a brand new message i've never done this before it's brand new and normally i, I try them out uh, overseas in case it goes wrong and no one knows <laughs> but, but tonight you are my 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 guinea pigs about starting this 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 brand new message but i believe that if you'll open up your heart tonight god could radically change your life in jesus name scripture teaches us that words are very powerful in the book of Proverbs, it'll be up there in a moment, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse number 21, it reads there that the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Our words can either build people up or they can tear them down. Our words can either bless or they can curse. They can strengthen or they, they, they can weaken. Our words can either recharge people or drain people. Our words can help or they can harm. Our words can encourage or criticize. Our words can empower or disempower. But in this message, I want to talk to you about some words that we say that most people never, ever hear. I want to talk to you tonight about the power of your self-talk. The power of your self-talk. Our self-talk 
is what we think or say to ourselves, either verbally or in our hearts. It's what we are saying um, about ourselves, about others, or about our circumstances. Our self-talk is the voice of our innermost personal thoughts. Nobody else may ever hear it except God himself. And though it is inaudible or sometimes barely audible, we have nevertheless conceived those words. And you may be asking tonight, why am I speaking about the topic of our self-talk? Not only because, as we mentioned, that our self-talk has got power, but also God listens to and God responds to our self-talk. In Scripture, God heard and He responded to people's self-talk, whether it was positive or negative. Let me give you a prime example. And uh, there was a time when the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and He said to this 99-year-old man, He said, I'm going to come back to you next year and your 90-year-old wife is going to have a son. There is going to be a miracle. And once the angel had declared that the son would, would be born, Sarah, who was eavesdropping into the conversation, it says there in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 12, this lady said, she said, laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? So she's just heard God through his angel speaking to Abraham that she is going to have a son and she basically just blurts out uh, and says, after, uh, after all this time, can this really take, take place? Will I have this pleasure? But what was interesting here is the Lord heard what she said. And the angel asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And why did Sarah say, will I really have a child now that I am old? This is the important thing. The angel did not let Sarah get away with her inward disbelieving thought, but he challenged her with the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then the angel boldly asserted that by this time next year, at the appointed time, Sarah indeed would have a son. Now at this point, Sarah was freaking out and uh, she was afraid and she actually lied to the Lord and said, Oh, I did not laugh. And the angel said, Yes, you did laugh. Imagine having an argument with an angel. And you're, you're trying to tell the angel, no, I didn't do that. And he said, yes, you did. I think if you try and argue with an angel or God, you will lose. But what, what you'll notice there is that Sarah thought that nobody else heard or knew her innermost thoughts. But the Lord knew and the Lord heard. And for us, what that means is that our inward, unspoken words and thoughts too are heard and known by the Lord. And in Sarah's case, God responded to her self-talk as if it was public and audible. Likewise, the Lord is going to respond to our self-talk because our self-talk unmasks what we really think inside of our hearts, whether it's good or it's bad. Our self-talk reveals what's really going on in our minds and in our hearts. And so, as a Christian... We need to monitor what we are saying to ourselves through our silent words because our self-talk has got power in our lives. Whether we realize it or not, 
God is examining. God is probing our hearts all the time. He's examining us. He's looking at our motives. He's looking at our attitudes. He's looking at our desire. He's looking at our, our pursuits. God is searching our hearts all of the time. God is listening to our silent meditations and thoughts because He knows what's in our heart. And He will deal within, with our hearts because He wants our hearts to be fully devoted to Him and that we would be filled with the work of His Spirit inside of us. God desires that our inner talk, our self-talk, would be the result and the overflow of His inner work of what He's doing inside of us. But I want to ground this in the reality of our daily lives and just have a look at three different aspects of our self-talk that relate to who we are here today. Number one, the first one is self-talk about ourselves. Let's have a little look at our self-talk about ourselves. Our self-talk is a reflection of our self-esteem, which is basically how we see, how we feel, and how we value ourselves. And as a Christian, we should derive our sense of self and self-esteem and value and worth from who we are in Jesus Christ. So that basically, an accurate self-image comes from having a right understanding of ourselves in relation to the living God. Because if we don't have a proper biblical understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ, we will have a distorted view of ourselves and we will have a distorted view of our self-worth. And what, what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at ourselves through the eyes of others. Or we'll be looking at ourselves through the lens of the culture. Or we'll be looking at ourselves through the rear vision mirror of our past experiences. And any one of those things will give us a fractured view of ourselves. Rather than seeing ourselves as God sees us, we're looking at ourselves how other people see us, how other people have seen us, and through the eyes of the culture. Because we are living in a very image-obsessed culture where many people are consumed by how they are perceived. That is, how they look on the outside rather than what they are on the inside. Some television programs portray before and after shots of people who've had elective cosmetic or or corrective surgery and sometimes the results are remarkable and watching shows like that can give us the misconception that if we could just have a few things surgically altered or enhanced then we would feel better about ourselves but I want to say today friends that is an illusion for the way that we look should never become the sole determining factor in our self-esteem if we form our self-esteem self from the perspective of the image-obsessed culture, we will never be satisfied or settle in who we are. We will always be frustrated. We'll always be wanting to do something. True self-esteem has got very little to do with our external features, with our image, with others', others perceptions of us, or any other external factor. Does it come from being attractive? No. Because attractiveness fades, and it's only the outside. It's not the real us. Does it come from wearing fashionable clothes? No, because fashions change. Does it come from having plenty of money? No, because net worth does not equal self-worth. 
Does it come from our status or success? No, because those things are an external measure, not an internal indicator of who and what, what we are. Does it come from being popular and having profile? No, because that means we're looking at ourselves with the eyes of others and not our own. Does it come from being tough, you know, and having big guns on our arms? No, because true strength is inward strength. Does it come from the color of our skin or our race? No, because the Bible says all people are created with equal value in the sight of God all, all, Almighty. So, for our self-talk about ourselves to be healthy, we need to align what we say about ourselves with what God says in His Word. In fact, if we do not see ourselves as God sees us, we will never be what God has called us to be. And we need to get a fresh understanding from the Bible of how God sees our lives. So this comes from building our self-image, our self-esteem, from what the Bible teaches about God being our creator, Jesus being our savior, and the Holy Spirit being our transformer. When we understand that, something happens. For example, it'll be on the screen. The Bible teaches that because God is our creator, we are God's workmanship. And I don't know about you, but that is a profound thought. I am not some accident. I am not just some random existence. I am not just some biological entity. I am a masterpiece of God's creative genius. He shaped me in my mother's womb. I am who I am because of Him. And I'm alive right now because of Him. I was born where I was born, to whom I was born because of Him. I am God's workmanship. I've been made in His image. And as the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am loved with His unfailing, unconditional and selfless love. Other people may have broken your heart. Other people may have shattered your thinking. But I want you to know today you can stand here in the presence of God and you can say with confidence, I am loved by the Creator of the heavens and the earth and nothing is going to separate me from His love. Not height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor life or death can separate me from His love. Because He's our Creator, those are the realities. And now, because Christ is our Savior, we have a number of realities as well. For existence, with Christ as our Savior, we are redeemed. The next one, please. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been rescued from the jurisdiction of darkness and we have been brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have been cleansed and forgiven from all our past sins. We have been, through Christ, baptized into His body so that now we are in Him and He is now in, in us. We are now indwelt by God's Holy Spirit so that Christ is in us. And because of the Spirit, we are now assured of resurrection and eternal life beyond the grave where we will be with him eternally in heaven that's all because of who we are in christ and not only do, do we find who we are as god as our creator and the lord jesus as our savior but we also see this by the spirit that's at work inside of our life through the holy spirit we are being transformed into the likeness of jesus with ever increasing glory Maybe there's lots of things about your life that you don't like at the moment, but I want you, you to remember this. You are not what you were, but you are not what you will be. 
God is at work inside of you and he doesn't give up and he doesn't stop and he doesn't get discouraged he's just going to keep working inside of you to mold you more and more to be like Jesus that's why God gave you the Holy Spirit to empower you to live the Christian life and for him to be at work inside of you to make you like Jesus one of the ways that he's doing that it is by transforming the very patterns of your thinking through the word of God he transforms the way that you think and he does this day by day this means that God has changed us is in the process of changing us and will continue to change us until that day where it says in 1 John 3 when he appears and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and when those realities of God, our Creator, of Jesus, our Savior, the Spirit, our Transformer, get into our hearts and into our minds, we start to understand who we really are in Him and we start becoming less concerned about what the culture says about us or what others have said about us or what's taken place in our past life. There may be many things that you don't like about yourself and maybe many things that you've rejected about yourself as well. And perhaps there are dozens of legitimate reasons why you've got hang-ups and phobias and fears and inferiorities or insecurities. But based on the realities I've just enumerated, we must choose to no longer say or think things that are contrary to God's Word. We mustn't give them power by our self-talk. On the contrary, we need to defeat our negative talk and start speaking the things that God has said in His Word. Let me, let me give you an example. Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, the Lord revealed His prophetic destiny for Jeremiah. Listen to this. The Lord said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow, that's powerful. That before you were born, God foreknew you. And it says there, Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to, to the nations. Can you imagine getting a word like that? If tonight the Lord appeared to you and said, Before you were born, I called you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. I'd be going, Yeah, bring it on. Thank you, Lord. That is great. But astonishingly, Jeremiah didn't respond very enthusiastically at all. What, 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 what we deduce here is he must have looked at himself and his limitations and his weaknesses. He looked at his cultural bias. He looked at his perceived appearance and the mind of his potential listeners. And he comes back to God and says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Excuse me, all-knowing God. I don't know if you've remembered this, but in my culture, older people are respected, younger people are despised. And you want me to be a prophetic voice to my nation? <laughs> Lord, you've got it wrong. You've got the wrong guy. I'm not old enough to be what you've called, called, called me to be. In essence, what, the Lord was, what, what Jeremiah was saying was, Lord, in my culture, I'm just like a little child. They wouldn't listen to me. The Lord, however, wasn't sympathetic at all. The Lord did not go, oh, didums, poor little Jeremiah. He's just a little child in his own culture. Listen to what the Lord said. Chapter 1, verse number 7, the Lord said, Do not say, I am only a child. God commanded him 
not to use his age or any other human reason to legitimize his reluctance to serve the Lord. And in saying, do not say, uh, it was like the Lord was saying, I never want to hear you say those words again. I never want you to let those words cross your lips again. I never want you to use that as an excuse for why you can't do for what I'm calling you to do. And likewise, many of us are just like Jeremiah. Uh, we, we come before God and we tell God, Oh God, I'm insecure. Oh God, I'm fearful. Oh God, I've had a bad upbringing. Oh God, if you knew my parents. Oh God, it's my appearance. Oh God, I've got impediments and disabilities. I've got a lack of education. I've got time constraints. I've got a lack of knowledge. I've got inexperience. I've got past failures. I'm an introverted person, Lord. Oh, others have criticized me. Others have really hurt me. Oh God, I can't do what you're calling me to do. And we go blah, 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 blah all the time. I believe that God in His great love would be saying to you a very loud and a very loving, stop saying that stuff. Do not say that stuff anymore because that is inconsistent with what I am saying about you and inconsistent with what I am doing inside of you. Jeremiah saw himself as a child, whereas God said, oh no, you're a prophet to the nations of the world. You think about Gideon, who saw himself as the least of his family, of which his family was the weakest in his clan, whereas God said, no, 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 I see a mighty warrior. Elijah felt alone, exposed and threatened because he thought he was the only prophet left in the nation, whereas God said, no, 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 there's 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee or compromised their faith. And these examples show us that the way we see ourselves is not the way that God sees us or what God thinks about us. But what we need to do is align our words, align our thoughts with what God is saying about our life. Then the Lord concluded his talk to Jeremiah by, by saying in verses 7 and 8, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will, res and will rescue you. In other words, what the Lord was saying was, it's not you anyway, Jeremiah. It's my word inside of your mouth that will give you authority and credibility. Jeremiah, I just want you to do what I'm commissioning you to do. Don't be afraid. I am with you. So I want to say to everybody in this room, in the name of Jesus, rather than live in the fear of man and rather than live a life that's caring about what other people would think, may today in Jesus' name you rise and start being who God has called you to be and start doing what God has called you to do. But it's got to start in the things that you are saying. And I want to encourage you, let your self-talk be consistent with what God says in His Word. Number two, not only are we required to be careful about our self-talk about ourselves, but we must also be conscious of our self-talk about others. And while our self-talk about ourselves reflects how we feel about ourselves, our self-talk about others reflects our inner thoughts about them. Let me, let me give you a Bible story. In Mark 5, verses 17 to 26, there were four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. These four men exercised great initiative by audaciously creating a crude hole in, in the roof of a home where Jesus was teaching, and they lowered their friends right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus looked up and he saw the faith on their faces, 
he said to the paralyzed man, he said, friend, your sins are for, 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 forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. And the religious leaders who were in that room immediately judged and condemned Jesus for making this, this, this declaration, but they didn't say it out loud. In fact, the Bible says they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins, but God alone. Now, it was not spoken, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. The verse says Jesus knew what they were thinking. And their inward thoughts exposed their darkened and deceived hearts. And then Jesus brilliantly and really went for their, 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 their corrupted thoughts. He's looking at the, at the paralyzed man and he said, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? A fantastic question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? And then Jesus said, But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, stand up on your feet and take up your mat and walk. And the Bible says immediately power went through that man and he stood up healed by the power of God. Healed by the mighty power of God. But the point is, the Pharisees were inwardly condemning Jesus, but he knew their inward judgmental attitudes and he responded accordingly equally we need to be very careful not to judge others with the critical attitudes inside of our heart jesus rightly warned his followers in matthew 7 verse number one he says judge uh, do, do not judge he said or you too will be judged and to judge in this context is to draw a premature conclusion about that person in our own mind about their motives or their actions or their attitudes without a full knowledge of really what's going on inside of their hearts which God alone has paraphrased what this means is don't be judgmental don't have a critical spirit don't have a condemning attitude towards other people so I want to encourage you tonight as a Christian be very careful about your attitudes very careful about what you think about people very careful about what you're saying about people why because god knows those thoughts and we are not to judge others and the major reason for not judging others caution jesus is this in matthew 7 verse number two jesus said in the same way in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use It'll be measured to you. Now, I don't know if you fully appreciate the gravity of that verse. That's one of the most scariest verses in the Word of God. This means that the way we as a Christian judge others will be the basis for the way that God will judge us. That our attitudes towards others will have a great bearing on the way that God will judge our lives as well. Thank God for the cross of Jesus. And in the sobering words of Don Carson, who's a great scholar, he said, we should abolish judgmental attitudes lest we ourselves stand utterly condemned before God. A judgmental attitude excludes us from God's pardon because it betrays an unbroken spirit. It shows that we are still proud towards others as well. And the principal problem with judging others 
is that God alone is judge. Only God knows the hearts and the minds of people. People are not accountable to us, only to God alone. And every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must therefore not prejudge people, even in our hearts, but leave the judgment to God Himself. Because there is coming a day when there is going to be perfect justice dispensed. Because nobody gets away with anything in this life. Everyone one day will stand before the living God. And if those things have not been forgiven through through Jesus Christ, they will answer for them. So you, didn't, you don't need to hold grudges. You don't need to be pointing the finger. You, you, you don't need to be browbeating people and criticizing them in your heart. Because the living God will deal with them on that, that day. For example, I remember teaching my, my daughter to drive. I've taught all three of my kids to drive. One of the reasons that my hair is gray. And, uh, and, and Victoria was driving along on, on the motorway in Queensland, and all of a sudden some guy cut in front of her, and she had to take evasive action. And she said out loud, Oh, you idiot. And so I chastised her and said, Victoria, you shouldn't say that. And far from being chastised, she turned to me and she said, But you do. And suddenly when she said that, I realized that all her life she's been sitting in the back seat hearing me calling people morons and idiots and twits and where'd you get your license from, you knucklehead. I've been doing it all her life and never realized that my self-talk was on loudspeaker calling all these other idiots on the road for what they really were. And it was like an epiphany at that moment. It was like I suddenly realized that, wow, I've been saying all these things out loud and I've tried very very hard from that day not to call people idiots anymore but the problem is there's so many idiots on the road out, out there but my, my point is as Christians I want to really encourage you unless you know the facts don't get a, get a wrong attitude inside of your heart Sometimes we can sit there with our arms folded and we can hear about decisions that leaders make or sometimes we can see a person's behavior or we can look at the way that they're dressed. And I want to encourage you, don't judge someone by how they look on the outside because you don't know what's going on on the inside. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't be going, oh, that person's just a show-off. That person is a peacock. That person's just trying to draw attention to themselves. That person's like this. That person's like that. God, please, your self-talk. Don't judge others. Don't have that inward voice that is pointing the finger at others. Thirdly and finally, a third aspect of self-talk is self-talk about our circumstances. So we've had a look at self-talk about ourselves, self-talk about others, but we've also got to be cautious about self-talk about our circumstances. When we pass through a difficult time like a, a testing or tragedy or adversity, we need to carefully regulate our self-talk because it will either build or undermine, fortify or putrefy our faith and trust in God. We may not have chosen what happens to us, but we can choose our attitude towards what, what has happened to us. And if we don't have a, have a positive attitude of trusting God, that negative attitude will poison us and inevitably find expression through our inner words and thoughts. And rather than just focus on the negative aspects of self-talk, I want to center our focus on the link between our self-talk and faith. Because self-talk can be used very positively 
and powerfully as an expression of our faith in God that we are speaking out in the middle of a difficult time. God, I don't understand why I'm going through this and God, this is hurting, but I trust you and you are a good God and you are a gracious God and you are a wise God and you're with me and you will bring me through. Let me tell you a story from Scripture. In Mark 5, we meet a lady who is in a desperate and precarious state. Listen, listen to this, verses 25 and 26. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I wanted to notice three things about this lady uh, that really describe her, her condition. Number one, she was a woman which in the culture of her day meant that she was at the bottom or the edge of the social standings. So she, she was a woman. And the second thing we, we read about her was she had had menstrual hemorrhaging for 12 years. 12 years there had been a continual flow. And this is significant to the story because according to the religious laws of her day, she was regarded as unclean and she shouldn't have been in 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 public being in public would mean that she was breaching all the purity laws she was unclean she was not not permitted to take place part in the temple worship at all and if anybody touched her they would be unclean as well and the third thing we learn learn about this lady was that she had spent all she had on doctors but medical science and the medical profession could do nothing more her finances meant that she was not in any position to try anything else. All her options were exhausted. And tying all of that, that, that together, we come to one glaring conclusion. This lady was excluded. Physically, she was excluded from physical health and wholeness. Medically, she was excluded because there was nothing more that anyone could, could do for her. Financially, she was excluded because she spent all she had on doctors and still had no answers, no, no cure, and she, she was broke. Socially, she was excluded from social interaction because of, of her illness and uncleanness. And spiritually, she was excluded from the worship life of, of, of the church. However, I love, love this verse here. Verse number 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And what filled her with such hope and tenacity and boldness, despite her precarious position and despite her religious exclusion, it was her faith and her self-talk. Listen to this. Verse number 28 says, She thought to herself, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And as she reached out and she touched his cloak, the bleeding stopped immediately. And verse number 29 says, And she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. And what we learn about this lady in this story is that our self-talk, can be a very authentic expression of our faith, but it must come from a heart of faith. 
despite all of her adversity, she believed that if she could just touch Jesus, she would be healed. And moreover, she acted upon her faith by pressing through the crowd as unobtrusively and covertly as possible, but with determination and ex expectation. Her silent words expressed the faith that was in her heart, and her actions gave expression to her words, and the result of her action and faith was that the power of Jesus was drawn from him and touched her, and she was healed. Now, I'm not implying that self-talk is just the power of positive thinking, though that can help some, some people. What I'm saying is the substance of our self-talk must be based on faith in God and based on the Word of God because the Word of God is the source of true faith. And therefore, we must align our self-talk and our prayers and our declaration of faith with the Word of God. I want to challenge you tonight, no matter what you are going through, change your vocabulary rather than, oh, poor little me, why does this happen to me? Oh, this is so hard. And I'm not trying to minimize what's taking place, but what I want you to know tonight is that there is a God who by His Spirit lives inside of you. He's all-wise, all-powerful, present everywhere. He's holding you by the hand. He will bring you through. And rather than live in depression and misery, and your words are an expression of that, let your words become an expression of faith in God that you are trusting Him, that you're trusting in His sovereignty, you're trusting in His wisdom, you're trusting in His unfailing love, you are trusting in His immeasurable power. You are believing the words of Romans 8, verse number 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. So above everything else, this message is sought to encourage you to regulate what you're thinking in your heart. It has encouraged you to regulate what you're saying in your heart about yourself, about others, about circumstances. It's encouraging you to re regulate what you are saying to yourselves. And this is the reason why, because God hears and God knows and God will respond to our self-talk. God hears and God knows. And God wants your heart he wants your all, and He probes our heart. He examines our heart. He searches our heart because He wants all our heart. And I, I conclude with a, with, with a wonderful scripture in Psalm 19, verse 14, that says, O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my, my redeemer. I pray. That from this, this moment here, that the words of the mouth are things that we are saying and the things that we are meditating and thinking in our hearts would be pleasing to God, who is our rock and our, our redeemer in Jesus Christ. And I believe that God can, can do something inside of you. Would you mind standing with me, please? Thank you. And just as we're in the presence of God, and maybe the, the keyboard player could come, or the guitarist, or the cellist, or the percussion, or somebody could, could come, I just want us to take a couple of moments in the presence of God, just to allow God to search our heart. Because while I've been speaking, somebody else has been, been speaking as well. And it's not just the noisy person behind you, but it's the Holy Spirit. As I speak, He speaks. 
And he doesn't just speak general words like me. He speaks words that go right into our hearts. And as I've been speaking, he's been searching and probing and putting his light upon the, the inner recesses of who we are. I always want God to do a work inside of us. So could I invite you please just to close your eyes for a moment. How do you really feel about yourself? What do you really think about others? And how are you responding to the circumstances that you're going through at the moment? What are you saying out loud? What are you saying in your heart? What's going on inside your mind? Just allow the Spirit of God just to search your heart, to probe you, and to fill you today, and show you what He knows about you. Maybe some things that you've been saying about yourself. Maybe some things that you've been saying about others. Maybe some things you've been saying about your circumstances. That you've suddenly become aware are not right before God. They're inconsistent with His Word. They're destructive words. I want to encourage you, before we move on, just to say to the Lord, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I will be like Jeremiah. I will no longer say those things any longer. But Lord, by your power, transform my mind. Transform my heart. Let your word just renew the very way that I think. That I will be different today. In Jesus' name. Just please, just take a moment in quiet prayer. Before the Lord. Just to get your heart in alignment with Him. And then I'm going to pray over you today in Jesus' name. life-changing work of your spirit inside of our hearts I pray that you would help us Lord to hear your voice above every other voice help us to know and remember your word above Lord other people's words I ask you today that you would bring transformation and renewal to the very way that people think I ask you that there would be a transformation so that, Lord, the words of our heart, the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, Lord, may be pleasing to you. I pray in the name of Jesus. I ask you for people's self-talk, Lord, just to be the overflow, the bubbling over of your word. I pray that, Lord, there will be change and transformation in the hearts of people. Lord, that every judgmental attitude, every critical spirit, Lord, I pray just be removed from the hearts of people. Let people, Lord, be filled with love and filled, Lord, with goodness and filled with kindness. I pray by your spirit in Jesus' name. 
And so, Lord, as I finish today, I pray your blessing over this church in the name of Jesus. I pray that it would go forward and it would go on. Lord, we pray today unitedly for Pastor Shane and Rachel. We pray, Lord, for complete restoration. We pray, Lord, for rejuvenation. We pray that they would come back transformed and so full of vision, Lord, to take the church on and on. But in the interim, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give such clear guidance that the church would just go forward and leaps and bounds. I pray that this church will be a powerful, redemptive presence, Lord, in Shell Harbor and beyond. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, God bless you. Thank you.